Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockin' Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is Before the Box Score. Texas A&M week. It's been kind of a quiet week. It's the calm before the storm. We've got, this is going to be the last weekend when we don't know where Luther Burden is going to play college football. And it kind of feels like everyone's just waiting for the big announcement that comes next week, as well as Gentry Williams. And then, of course, oh, by the way, we're bringing in the Bama Slayers. The Aggies come into Columbia this weekend to play a game. Ranked. Texas A&M team. So there's a lot going on, and yet it seems kind of like a sleepy beat this week. How you doing, BK? I'm doing well, man. It feels like, for me, the biggest Mizzou football week of the year. You've got a potential upset this weekend. We'll see. We'll talk about that a little bit. And you've got at least one commitment that is major for Mizzou. And then we'll see on Gentry Williams. And don't forget, there's also another offensive lineman that's committing within the next week or so as well. A Juco kid that was on campus last weekend um, that might be committing to Mizzou over Oklahoma State. We'll see on that one as well. So big week for Mizzou, the future of the program and the present of the program. Absolutely. For For right now, let's talk about the past of the program and specifically four days in the past. I got some more North Texas thoughts, BK. Yeah. And they're not good. They're not good. Again, I, I, I wrote the, the beyond the box score this week. I said the most important part is that you're winning. I said that style points are for teams that aren't knee deep in a rebuild. And that's all true. I think it's a positive thing that Missouri won a football game. I know. Breaking news. But winning football games is good. Let's not take our eye off the ball. However. There is a disturbing little trend that I'm noticing as far as Missouri football team goes, and it's got to do with third quarters. You know, the one that comes after the second quarter. You know, the first thing you do after halftime, you play the third quarter. Missouri's not very good at it. And I'm not talking about, oh, well, their success rates aren't very good, or, oh, they don't score a whole lot. They don't. But there's more to it than that. Here's the issue. Looking at the six games that we have as a sample so far, first three games, Central Michigan, Kentucky, SEMO, for the most part, Missouri was a totally normal, totally average football team running off, you know, 18 plays or 25 plays in the third quarter, having various amounts of success, but, you know, it was just any other quarter. And then you get to Boston College, and Missouri runs four plays, gains 17 yards. Okay, kind of fluky. 
It was weird. It was on the road, threw an interception. All right, these things happen. But then the Tennessee game happens. Missouri runs 10 plays. They gain 32 yards. Okay, well, you know, Tennessee was was just stomping our asses at that point. Okay, we can look past that. It was just a, it's a one-sided fist fight, whatever. And then North Texas happens. 11 plays. 48 yards. And I'm sitting here thinking like, look, you're not going to win the game in the third quarter. But it is oftentimes your first shot as a, at a counterpunch in the game. Sometimes you get possession. So you get a possession, maybe close the gap or expand the, the point gap. And for the past three games, Missouri has not been able to stay on the field and do anything. They're getting like 4% of the yardage or 8% of the yardage in 15 whole minutes. And again, you're not going to win or lose the game in the third, but you can make some kind of movement, positive or negative. And right now, Missouri's not even the field, on the field to do anything. And BK, frankly, I'm a little concerned. It's a fair concern. It is a little fluky, though, um, in terms of the way that it has taken place. So it, it, it almost feels more like a defensive issue to me than it does an offensive issue. So like against Boston College, what the problem was is Boston College had their first drive in the third quarter. It was 13 plays, 75 yards. It took off six and a half minutes of the clock. Then Mizzou, two plays, an interception, give the ball right, right back. Boston College next drive, 16 plays, 50 yards, seven minutes off the clock. Boom, third quarter over. So that that's not so much on the offense as it is, whoo boy, that's a bad defensive quarter. Like that is Boston College football to a T. They shoved it down your throat, didn't ask if you liked it, and just moved forward. Um, that that was the third quarter against Boston College. Against Tennessee, it was even kind of more fluky in some ways. Uh, Mizzou had a kick return touchdown, which played into that. They allowed an 11-play, 65-yard drive, a 10-play, 75-yard drive, and then a 14-play, 48-yard drive, All the, the first two of which scored for Tennessee. So again, that's a defensive issue more so than an offensive issue. Their only drive in the third quarter in that game went 10, 10 plays, 25 yards, didn't really accomplish a whole lot of anything, ended up in a uh, turnover on downs. So those two games, it was more fluky. I would say than it is anything else. And if you were going to point to anything, it's probably the defensive side of the ball more than it is offense. But I mean, that's where we can point to. This is a defensive issue and they've got to get better, man. There have to be ways for this team to come up with some more negative plays. And I think we saw some of that against North Texas. I thought it was better. They ended up with more tackles for loss. They had a few pass rushes that seemingly got home against the the North Texas quarterback. Like you had you had opportunities to come up with big plays defensively that really just wasn't happening previously. And when you allow the opposing team to just consistently get four, five, six yards on first down and then second down, they're just going to drive down the field that way. And they don't even really have to throw after a while. So that to me is probably the single biggest issue that stood out to me about Mizzou's defense all year long. And I think it's probably what's leading to a lot of the issues that you're talking about in the third quarter. These opposing teams, I think in general, halftime adjustments are kind of overrated, but these opposing teams go into halftime and they basically say, we don't need to throw. They're not stopping the run. So our halftime adjustment is pretty simple. Keep handing the ball to the running back until they stop it and Missouri doesn't. So that that to me is probably the thing that's most alarming is this run defense is getting taken advantage of in a big way in the third quarter, more so than anywhere else in the game. Coaches will tell you halftime. What do they do? Use the bathroom. Mm. Grab something to eat. Maybe, you, you know, you you're a linebacker coach. You get your linebackers together and talk about what you've seen. But most of the time, it's the coaches kind of huddling together talking about what they see and then just kind of, all right, well, we'll, we'll, we'll talk it a little bit more back on the headset and then that's it. So like, you know, that's, that's really what halftime is for. It's not really for huge schematic changes at the same time. A lot of coaches like to script their first series uh, for the third quarter during that time. Maybe, maybe with the quarterback, maybe not, but like sometimes like, all right, well, based off of what we've seen, our first drive is going to be, you know, these seven plays, if we can pull it off. And if Missouri does that, it's not working. <laughs> if Missouri's opponents are doing it, it is working. Mm. And I understand it's like, oh, yeah, we're just now we're just going to run it. But like North Texas, 
Like we we're completely shutting them out. Well, not, yeah, not completely shutting them out, but basically held them to one touchdown, hundred yards, and then in the third quarter, they went pass, 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 run, 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 pass, 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 pass. Like they just they they saw something, and and they they took advantage of it, and it worked. And you know, they, Steve Wilkes finally talked to the media this week. I was so so proud of our brave boy making a million dollars and coming out and talking to the media like he's supposed to do and give us his thoughts like he's supposed to do. Just a lot of bravery there. But something that he said was that it was a positive step forward, but they have a long way to go. And I think the positive step forward, like you said, the tackles for loss. Actually winning some of your matchups on the line. The long way to go, giving up 28 points in the second half. (laughs) That might be it. So thank you, Steve, for the insight. Obviously, we weren't going to get too much out of him. But it just kind of seems like Missouri is not, especially the Missouri defense has not been in any half team. If they are now just a first half defense and they suck in the second half, cool, that's fine. That also means you need to make sure that your offense can take advantage of opportunities mm-hmm. and hold on to the ball in the third quarter. Go slow, give them, give them some time to to breathe and 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 get them off the field because right now the defense is on the field for the third quarter for most of it, almost the entire ten minutes at this point. The Missouri offense is just sitting on the sideline, twiddling their thumbs and trying to think, oh, it'd, it'd be so nice if we could get back out there. So it's something that needs to change, especially as you get into uh, SEC play. Yeah, the, the margins for error just become slimmer and slimmer as the teams that you play become better and better. And North Texas is one of the worst teams on their schedule this year. So you, you come out of it with a win. And at the end of the day, that's what matters. And you always say style points don't matter. Uh, they didn't matter in that game. And Missouri was able to get a win that they desperately, desperately needed. You go out of there and you feel a little better because of what the way that you play defensively, in particular in the first half. And uh, we can talk about Texas A&M. That being said, there was still a lot of stuff that happened in that game that was not good and needs Mm -hmm. to be fixed. And that doesn't just go away. Now you're going up against another top 25 opponent this week that will absolutely be happy to take advantage of your dreadful run defense in particular. And if you don't clean some of those things up, yeah, Texas A&M is going to have a hell of a lot better time picking you apart than North Texas did. It's just a different level of talent that you're going up against. It is. Now, Phil Bennett, uh, North Texas defense coordinator, is is really quite good. Uh, he's been around for a long time. Used to be Baylor's defensive coordinator. He is used to playing with kind of an up-tempo offense, so his defenses are very havoc-focused. They like to bring a lot of pressure, and they usually get home with it. And that's something else that I, I noticed when, when watching this game over and over again. Baselike had his worst day by far, maybe of his career. He was also was pressured way more than he has certainly this year, maybe in the past two years. The, the offensive line, particularly the tackles, could not consistently keep those guys out of the backfield. And even it was pressure up the middle, too. So like, well, I mean, I think it's fair to say, does not thrive in having to scramble and throw. Uh, he oftentimes kind of has a... He can he can grow into a Blaine Gabbert pocket presence issue where he starts feeling pressure where there is none or thinking that he's going to get hit and it's not really in danger at that point, but he sees the rush coming. He tends to make some very rushed decisions when he's sensing pressure, and those decisions tend to not be the best ones. And I think a lot of that played into how everything was a check down or super close to the line of scrimmage and these receivers a aren't athletic enough to, to shake every tackler that's sitting right there. And B the ones who don't have the ball really aren't that great of run blockers. Um, I know I texted you kind of who I thought wasn't super great. Really. You could point your finger to all of them. The run blocking isn't super great from the receivers and that's not really what they want to do. It's not the best thing they can do, but if you have an offense, that's kind of based on the side to side and likes to stretch you out you need some guys downfield to make a block and hold a block. And I think that's one of the issues why we haven't seen this offense really take off. Cause again, everything is short, but even then when it is short, there's too many defenders in the area that aren't getting blocked. And it's just, it, it makes it tough for this offense to succeed. So if you can get some good downfield blocking somewhere from the receivers or the, or the tight ends, you can see more. I think you could see more success, but it's, uh, I don't think that's happening this year. 
Well, that's the thing, right? Like, if you look at what the, the way that this offense succeeds, it's not all that dissimilar from some of the offenses that we saw from Mizzou in, like, the mid-2000s. I mean, this is, mm-hmm. this is not all that dissimilar from what Chase Daniel was doing while he was at Mizzou. It's probably a little more under-center stuff. It's a little more pro-style-ish. But basically what Chase Daniel was doing was he was st- taking two steps back, finding the open guy and getting it out of his hands as quickly as he could. And then it'd be a quick pass more often than not. And when you look at what Missouri's doing right now, it's that they're finding the open man and they're getting it to their playmakers very quickly. A lot of the time that's quick hitches. A lot of the time that's quick slants. A lot of the time that's the quick bubble out, um, bubble screens. And when you have those kinds of plays, you need your playmakers on the outside to make a, a man miss. Sure. You also need your wide receivers to make sure that they are occupying their defender. doesn't mean you got to put their ass in the ground. That's not necessary, but you've got to have a good stock block out there and you've got to be able to keep your body in front of theirs for at least a couple seconds to give your receiver a chance. That's all you got to do. Just give them a chance. And too often, it feels like some of Mizzou's receivers have no chance of going anywhere. Do you remember Wes Kemp? Yeah. Did a Smet kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he played uh, 2008 to 2011, I want to say. Um, that is probably the best receiver blocker that I have seen in my time. He was 6'4", 220. Didn't have the best hands, but man, he engaged downfield and his dude was not getting past him. It was Beautiful. The problem was that they didn't have very good receivers at the time, so he was blocking his ass off for really nobody at all. <clears throat> but this this team needs a West Kemp. I don't know if there is one. <clears throat> I feel like Kiki Chisholm would be a pretty good downfield blocker, but we also need him to catch the balls. So <clears throat> I don't know what the answer is there. It could just be we need more guys in the pipeline and just get better at, at blocking. They also but... have some guys coming in next year that at least <clears throat> In terms of the profile, they have the size that they would look to be potentially good blockers on the outside. And it's not all about size. I don't want to make it that way, but it doesn't hurt to have a decent You're size. You're talking Jamarian Wayne, mm-hmm. aren't you? Yeah. 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 6'3", 171. A little bit more beef on him could help, but like certainly got the height. Mikai Miller, 6'1", 180. Um, and when yeah. they come in at that size, I mean, they're going to be 200 pounds by the time they leave. Yeah. Yeah. Missouri Nutrition Program is going to do what it's got to do. They'll beef up. That's not a problem. Sometimes that means you have to spend your red shirt year in the gun club to, to get to that point. So right. we may see him. We may not, but, um, but yeah, it'd be nice to, you know, even get, you know, with, with, um, Oh my God, I'm bl- Nico. Hey, with him back in the fold, they were running a lot more two tight end sets than they were um, the week prior. And when you do that, that gets you faster blockers downfield. So in theory, you know, they they do a really good job in the running game. If they can do the same uh, in the passing game, kind of out of a two tight end set, you know, you can maybe see a situation where that works. But point is, you know, blocking a lot of it's just kind of effort and a little bit of technique, but mostly effort. And at this point, you know, for I don't doubt the effort. It's just the technique's not quite there. And I think you're seeing that with the penalties because we're seeing way, way, way mm-hmm. more holding penalties as the year goes on. And some of those are declined. Some of them aren't, but like, you know, offensive line has been getting called for a bunch. Receivers have been getting called for a bunch. So it's just, it's something that needs to improve and and just takes time. And until you get that, I just, we're going to see, you know, the short passing game. And if they get pressure on Bazelak and he keeps making rush decisions, you know, that's, it's a very easy, um, easily identifiable way to beat this offense, which is not great. It, it It's not ideal, but we knew this was going to be a trying year in a lot of ways. Um, And this is, this is one of the frustrations with watching the offense right now is they are very reliant on their playmakers. And really the number one guy that they're reliant upon right now is Tyler Beatty, of course, because he can make men miss. He gets into the open field. And even if there are guys that are unblocked, he's able to wiggle around them and find his way into the open field. They don't have a whole lot of other guys that do that right now. So you need some really good blocking out in front and they're just not getting it consistent enough. And when you don't get it consistently, well, you end up with a quick hitch that goes for four and then you have a bubble screen that goes for negative one. And now you're stuck in third and five. You don't have a whole lot of options for a third and five play. 
it ends up being an incomplete pass because it's well defended and boom, you're off the field. Like it's just, it's just too inconsistent and you need those quick bubble screens. Those should be the extension of the running game where you're getting four mm-hmm. yards a pop at a minimum. And right now there are yeah. too many of them that are ending up in negative one, one, two, maybe three yards. Yeah. You, you mentioned Tyler Beatty and his ability to make people miss. He had, let's see here. He got stopped at the line twice and he was hit in the backfield once for a loss of a yard. I think the Missouri offensive line was hazing BJ Harris because he had 14 carries and six of them. He got smacked in the backfield. Um, minus three yards, minus one yard, minus three yards, minus four yards, minus five yards, minus two yards. That's a lot of lost yardage. Now the ones that weren't lost, he went for 11, seven, six, 11, 13. Like you give him some space. The boy can scoot. But if you're just going to let him through, you know, just, oh, hey, <laughs> good luck, buddy. Um, Tyler Beatty's pretty good at managing that. At this point, B.J. Harris isn't, and I'm not sure how many other running backs excel in that situation, but I like the offensive line to get be a little bit better, especially against a North Texas defense, even an attacking one, uh, because it's it's not going to get easier, guys, and Tyler Beatty's not going to be here next year, mm. so... That'd be nice to clean up just a little bit. Yeah, the offensive line has been an, a quietly underrated storyline over the last few weeks. It hasn't been very good. And I, I wonder if some of this is Case Cook with the injury that he's been dealing with. That That's certainly a part of the story. That's not all of it, though. They just haven't been consistent enough in any way, shape, or form. And that's not going to get a whole lot easier this week when you're going up against um, a Texas A&M defense that's been pretty salty this year. And you're going to be at a talent deficiency against a team like this without any question. So they're going to have their hands full on Saturday. I'm very curious to see what Eli Drinkwitz does to give them some help. I think this is the type of game where he's going to be in his bag. If you remember the LSU game last year, this has that feel to it where it's like, hey, this is our chance to be able to go out there and make a little bit of a name for ourselves. This is our our upset special opportunity. If we're going to have one this year, probably texas a&m it's probably coming at home let's go ahead and empty the playbook so this this to me has that written all over it. i'm not saying they're winning but i think he's going to help out the offensive line a decent amount on saturday by going into maybe it is some trick gadget plays and get three four five of those over the course of the entire game and i don't know what else he's going to do whether it be chips if it ends up being more quick passing game even than normal just kind of a wild concept um it it's it's going to be tough but i think this is the type of game where he needs to help out his offensive line because they're going to be in some trouble yeah he, he hasn't flee uh done a flea flicker in a couple of games uh he did the statue of liberty disaster but he did it so i think he's yeah i think he's like you know mad scientist in the lab he's trying to figure out what's going to work and what's not if i said I don't know. What are the odds that we see a hook and ladder on Saturday? I mean, just off the top of your head, can you see a situation? Three to one, you said? Yeah, I mean, it, it, something like that's going to happen. I don't know what the specific play will be. I don't know the specific timing. I would imagine it will probably come either right after halftime or early in the first quarter. That's typically when we see this stuff from Eli. Mm -hmm. But, I think you'll see something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's going to get weird. I don't know how weird, but I do agree with you. I think he's going to. I think he's going to have some tendency breakers, too. Like I I just said, maybe you see even more of the short passing game. I mean, it it wouldn't be wild to think early in the game. He just goes for a few really deep shots, whether that be trick plays or otherwise. Like, I I think he's going to try to break some tendencies in this game as well. Yeah. I mean, it's. He does a pretty good job of balancing run and pass on first down. It's typically Tyler Bating no matter what, but like he does a pretty good job of trying to not be too predictable early. And, you know, he's usually passing on third down. Okay, that's fine. But um, I think I think he knows himself pretty well. Obviously, they have an entire staff of graduate assistants and advisors to self scout and tell him exactly what his tendencies are so he can try and stay away from him. So. That's what Scott, uh, Scott Linehan's there for, right? Exactly. And nothing else. 
absolutely nothing else. Thank you, Scott. Um, so I, I am curious how he maybe Scott's in charge of the third quarter. Oh my God, that's it. <laughs> that has to be it. Oh, Scott, you Linehan. Is this is his son still on the staff? Uh, I think so. I'm not positive on that, but I believe so. I have no problem with the younger Linehan, but Scott. Uh, let's talk about happy things. Let's talk about recruiting. Again, it would not be a Missouri football podcast without talking about recruiting. Mentioning at the top of the show, we got Luther Burden. We got Gentry Williams. Gentry's announcing on the 18th. That is Monday. Burden is announcing on the 19th. That is Tuesday. We got all this weekend to sit and wonder about it. Uh, Luther is heading to Athens, Georgia. He's going to go see the number one team in person. Uh, game day, college game day will be there as well. And he's going to be you know, treated like a king. Rolled the red carpet and said, hey, why don't you come out here and immediately become the best receiver on the best team in the country? It's a pretty, pretty effective argument. But. For now, he's going to keep his announcement for Tuesday, and we're assuming that's going to be the case. Gentry Williams was kind of a surprise. I feel like he has not been talked about a lot as, as far as Missouri recruiting circles go, but Missouri made the cut, the, the final four, for his services, and so we made the graphic. We are in the conversation. It doesn't sound like Missouri is going to be the choice here, but you never know. So it's it's going to be a very exciting weekend as we hopefully see an upset and possibly get uh, some big recruits. But uh, I don't know. It kind of feels like if you're going to have a good weekend, it's going to be one of two. And uh, I don't think it's going to be Williams. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think that's probably fair. I think the Gentry Williams one is pretty easy to break down. I think that one basically comes down to is he on campus this weekend or not? If he's not there, then I don't see any way that he's going to be picking uh mizzou if he is there though maybe you've got a shot but that that's kind of where i'm at with him um as for luther burden a quick update as to where he's at so last week against alton he finished with <laughs> seven receptions for 128 yards and three total touchdowns not a bad game by one luther burden he his team ended up winning that game by a final score of 68 to nothing so oh my god pr pretty solid by east st louis um He's the one that you've got a shot with. I, I know it doesn't inspire a whole lot of confidence, and I'm not here to tell you that it should, that he's going to Georgia this weekend, the number one team in the country, and by far the best team in the country. You shouldn't feel great about that if you're a Missouri fan. But Missouri's in this one for a reason, and it's not because they're better than Georgia. He knows, as he came to the game last week, and as he has gone through his entire recruitment, that Missouri's not going to be one of the best teams on his list. He was originally committed to Oklahoma. They're better than Mizzou. He's considering Georgia. They're significantly better than Mizzou. Alabama's the other team in his top three. They're much better than Missouri. I'm not breaking any news to Mizzou fans here. Mizzou's recruitment pitch to Luther Burden is not that they're the best program. Their recruiting pitch to Luther Burden seems to be kind of twofold. A, stay home, get a bunch of... um. NL ideals and or excuse me um get a bunch of money while you come here through some advertising because you're a local kid and b you could be the one that gets us to where those other teams are like you could be the reason why we end up becoming a better program luther burden so if he ends up deciding that's the route that he wants to go more power to him and man i can't wait to watch him in a mizzou uniform but that's really what this comes down to what does he want out of his college experience and i think we're going to find that out next week. The other thing that I would say, uh, just keep in mind, it's not nearly on the same level of importance as a Luther Burden or Gentry Williams, but Tyrone Weber, a junior college offensive lineman from New Mexico Military Institute, he has announced that he is going to commit next Monday, I believe it is. Yeah, October the 18th. Mm. He is deciding, it appears, between Oklahoma State and Mizzou. He was at Oklahoma State two weeks ago. He was at Mizzou last weekend, um, and he he's announced that he is going to commit next Monday. So I don't know where Mizzou stands in that one. There has been basically zero reporting on it, 
but he's another name to watch. And Mizzou has four other offensive linemen currently in their class. This would be the fifth. This would basically set up a an offensive line in next year's class if they were to end up getting him. It kind of feels like you need another guy, even even in bringing in four guys. You still kind of need someone who can step up and play immediately. So that would be a uh, that'd be a nice addition for sure. Here's the thing. Again, Luther Burden going to Georgia. I've seen some some talk kind of focused around, oh my God, it's the number one team in the country and they get college game day. He's going to be there for that. Oh my God. I don't think high school kids commit to schools because of college game day. I'll throw that out there first and foremost. Number two, I don't care what Georgia's ranked. Georgia as a program has a more storied history, has a lot more money. You, we could we could be talking about Luther Burden going to a Georgia that's two and four, and I'd still have the same kind of heart palpitations that I do now because it's Georgia and we're in Missouri. That that's that's the issue. So I'm I'm less concerned about the timing of it. It's it's the same with uh, Marquise Gracial going to Alabama. It's not that. Alabama was on a run and like, oh, like oh, there's anything particular that I'm scared. I'm just scared that it's Alabama, whatever form of that it is going up against Nick Saban and recruiting is no fun going up against Kirby Smart and recruiting is no fun. It's just teams tend to not win those battles. So I'm less concerned about how Georgia's doing or what's going to be on campus at the same time as the fact that he is going. If you get him off campus without him committing or just raving about the entire experience nonstop, then yeah, I, you know, we can, we can feel pretty good going into, uh, going into Tuesday, but you I think you're right. You know, I think Sam Horn said the same thing, you know, um, because Sam Horn was on campus this past week and he was hanging out with Luther Burden and he mentioned that, that coach drink is saying, look, why, why would you just be yet another five-star guy on the roster when you can be, the number one guy and make this team the number one team because you're going to get more press. You're going to get more attention. You're going to be a hero to the school and to the local community. You know, just you be the guy that makes this happen. Don't, don't be the guys that came after the other guys, be the ones that made it happen. And Sam is obviously very much bought into this. And I'm sure he and Luther talked about it uh, to a certain extent this past weekend. So yeah, it goes, what is, what does Luther Burden want from his college experience? That's all it is. No, no visit is going to change what he wants or shouldn't. Um, so I, I don't know where he's going to go. I'd love for it to be Missouri. I'd love to see him make that leap and, and carry this team. Um, but we don't know yet. We got another four, about five days to figure it out. I'm not going to lose sleep over it. As long as we got Sam Horn, I'm happy, but man, it would be what, what a statement uh, on the national recruiting level to have number one receiver in the country, a five-star player commit to the new zoo. That that's, that's really what we're, we're looking for. The to. other thing is, man, that this, this program kind of needs some momentum again. It, it lost a lot in that Tennessee loss because I mean, the loss at Kentucky was frustrating. Don't get me wrong, but it's one score. It's on the road. Kentucky looks like they're going to be a really good team this year. I mean, they very well may win the SEC East this season. That's at least in play for them. The SEMO win, it was weird. It was fluky. The last quarter didn't really make a whole lot of sense, but whatever. You know, you got the win. Boston College on the road. You took them to overtime. That's a tough place to play. They ended up giving Clemson all they could handle. And you lost the game by seven in overtime on a weird, terrible interception um, from Connor Bazelak. It, it is what it is. North Texas, yeah, you'd like them to not score the way they did in the fourth quarter, but you get the win. This season really comes down to everything. All of the win came out of the sales against Tennessee. It was one of the worst program losses in the last, I mean, really in program history, but at least in the last 25 plus years. Uh, we thought that Missouri was beyond that kind of a performance. And there were real calls for people to be fired after that game that were legitimate and justified because of how terrible it was. And now you kind of go into the last half of the season. If they lose this game against Texas A&M, there's not a whole lot to look forward to. I mean, they should beat Vandy still. They should 
still beat South Carolina. But then you've got Georgia, Florida, and Arkansas. Georgia and Arkansas on the road. Florida at home. You're probably going to lose those games. And you end up with five wins. You might not get to a bowl game. And even if you do, it's one of those eh, five wins. They asked you to come because nobody else wanted to kind of a things. If you're able to get Luther Burden to commit, it takes away some of that sting. Doesn't make it go away, but it takes away a little bit of that sting because now you are able to sell that hope again. You do go into next year thinking, oh, baby, <laughs> we, we ended up with a four-star quarterback. We've got a five-star wide receiver, and we've got a coach that we still believe in. And if they're able to go make the right decisions in the offseason when it comes to some of the transfers, maybe they can be a little better than expected next year. Um, but if they don't get Luther Burden and they lose this game on Saturday, it, it does feel a lot of the momentum that they had gained over the last 18 plus months. It's not gone, but it has hit a little bit of a pause compared to where it was prior to this season. I mean, it, this season kind of feels like an inevitability at this point, right? Yeah. At least on the field, especially if you don't upset Texas A&M. Now, if you do that, yeah, now you reintroduce some energy. Now you're like, oh, well, I don't know. Maybe we do beat Arkansas. Maybe we do beat Florida or whatever. Like everything is just kind of the swing games have gone against you and all the other games have kind of gone, you know, fine. So it just feels like oh, five and seven. And if you lose to Texas A&M, then you're like, well, it's, it's kind of like the, the, it's kind of like the 14 year old dog that has cancer, you know, like they're not going to make it. That, that things aren't going to turn around and be better. You're just going to have to deal with the fact that it's a 14 year old dog with cancer. And at some point it's going to, come to an end and you're going to be sad and that's it. Getting Luther Burden to commit is like just, it, it creates a little bit of difference. Oh, oh, well that usually doesn't happen. It reminds you why you like drink with so much. Oh yeah. That dude came recruit. He's not doing a great job with the team this year. Okay. Whatever. But Hey, he can recruit. It just, it, yeah, it just, it brings back some different feelings it brings back some energy it brings back reasons to believe in a season where you're kind of like well no everything's just going to kind of suck until it's over um so yes it a win over texas a&m would be great because it creates a little bit of chaos and it throws you off and goes okay maybe things aren't inevitable or if you lose to a&m and you get luther burden to commit boom okay hey now something a little bit different reason to believe reason to hope or you can do both and have like the greatest weekend ever (laughs) Right. And then Gentry Williams goes, yeah, screw it. Let's do this. Um, so, I mean, who knows? But there does just kind of seem like everything's just we're just waiting for the five and seven to happen. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take the blame for that. I've been telling you all to eat your vegetables for, you know, going on a year now and not really giving you a whole lot of reason to hope, at least this year. But, yeah, it'd be nice to get some energy, get something new, different and unpredictable happen. So I would I would like that. That'd be very nice. So far, it feels like a Barry Odom season. Like just just in terms of the on-field results, this is very Barry Odom-esque, where you lose yeah. a couple of close games early, you lose a big game early, and then boom, down the stretch, you know kind of what's going to happen. You know you're going to go five and five or five and seven, six and six, something like that. You move forward, and okay, well maybe next season will be better. And that we dealt with that for years with Barry Odom, and it was all of the momentum would be gone in the first half of the season, and it really didn't matter what the team did in the second half. That's kind of where we're at right now. If you're a Mizzou fan and you're listening to this, I, I would have to imagine you probably don't feel the same optimism about Mizzou football that you did at the beginning of the season today. That's understandable because we've actually seen the team fail on the field now, as opposed to before the season where it was all conceptual. It was okay. Blaze Aldridge might be good enough. I know they're losing Nick Bolton, but maybe they can replace him with a guy like Blaze. Oh, they got these two cornerbacks from Tulsa that were really good there. Okay. Maybe the defense can be better than we thought even. On offense, you know, you, you get Mookie Cooper. Dominic Lovett could be exciting. Maybe there's something here. Maybe they can catch lightning in a bottle and they can go eight and four, seven and five. It was reasonable to think those things. And now we've seen it fail. So it, it has a different feeling to it than when all you have is just that hope that's out in front of you. And that hope can be captured again in the form of Luther Burden. So if you're able to get him to commit next week, It changes a lot. It takes away a lot of the sting, at least for me. I can't speak for Mizzou fans as a whole, but for me, it does take away some of the sting of this season because you'd at least come out of it with something tangible. And man, if they're able to get a win on Saturday as well, on top of that, more power to them. And that suddenly on top of the recruiting win, 
now you've got some momentum on the field as well that will be shattered when they play Georgia, but for the next two weeks that you will continue <laughs> to be able to enjoy. So let's talk about Texas A&M. Let's talk about them a little bit. You asked me before we started the show if Texas A&M was good. I said sometimes, question mark. Because that's that's really what they've done so far. The thing with Jimbo Fisher teams is that they move at a snail's pace. They don't they're not in any hurry to do anything. It's very much like Will Muschamp, uh, Florida teams and Will Muschamp, South Carolina teams. When you are way more talented than somebody, you tend to want those athletes to run wild so you can build up a nice you know, cushion of points and, and not have to worry about it. But if you're Jimbo Fisher, you just want to execute. You want to hold onto the ball. You want to have 10, 10, 11 possessions, have each possession be 12 or 15 plays, and then just squeeze with a really good defense and an offense that can function efficiently. Not a lot of big plays, and it's not that he's turning them down, but that's what he likes to do. When you play that style of ball, you keep teams in it. You keep teams that are better than you. You keep them close, and you keep teams that are worse than you close. And sometimes that bites you in the butt. And sometimes it's the Virginia basketball effect. Basically, yes. Sometimes they're like Virginia basketball. And then when you lose the guy who was your starting quarterback all spring and fall, and you have to put out a backup, then it starts to get a little bit more difficult. And AM has played well this year, but you know, look at who they've played. Kent State. 41-10. Colorado, when they lost Haynes King, 10-7. New Mexico, one of the worst teams in the country, 34-0. I think you could put up more than 34 on that, you know, on the New Mexico defense. And then Arkansas comes in and whomps them, 20-10. Those 10 were kind of towards the end of the game, so it looked a little bit more I was about to say, that game they, was never really that close. That is a 6% win expectancy. Like, no, it wasn't happening. And then they got cut, caught hung over the next week and lost to Mississippi State 20, uh, 26-22 and didn't play well there either. 36% win expectancy. Now, Arkansas and Mississippi State are pretty much the same team. They're 28th and 27th in SP+, respectively. It's, it's a very similar, uh, similar quality of team, but they obviously played a lot different. So when you beat Alabama, <laughs> this is not that team that you thought was going to do that. Because they hadn't shown really an ability to get out of their own way. But Zach Calzada blacked out, could not miss. I think his first 20 passes were all completions. I know there was one incompletion. That was an interception. Literally, the first 20 passes he threw did not touch the ground. And a Texas A&M team that moved slow was able to frustrate the hell out of Bryce Young, their Alabama's quarterback, get a lot of pressure on him, get a lot of sacks. Even with giving up, you know, a blocked punt and and a kickoff return, like they just that offense did enough to win, put himself in a position late in the game to win it, and their kicker did it, and that was it. And I, th- I think the best comp for this Texas A&M Aggies team is 2010 South Carolina, which had Steve Spurrier as the head coach, Stephen Garcia as the quarterback, and was like fine. They were ranked on and off for most of the year. But they just kind of had this unconscious moment where they beat Alabama out of nowhere uh, and then ended up just being an okay team. So I don't know what version of AM we're going to get this week. Obviously, you know, being on the road after such a big win, uh, you like to think that could kind of deflate a, a collegiate athlete's motivation. Um, but uh, it's going to be. Texas AM, when they play well, are, are very, very good and they recruit at an elite level. And Missouri doesn't, so kind of, you know, I don't know, three, two times out of three, A&M's going to win this game. You just got to hope that uh, this weekend is the one. It's week six. Mizzou has played two true road games so far this year. How many true road games do you think Texas A&M has played? Uh, they have played one. Zero. So far. Zero true road games. Close to oh, one. Oh, because they did it they, at They were in Denver. High. That's right. They were in Denver <clears throat> against Colorado. But Z, they have okay. played on the opposing team's campus zero okay. times so far this year. Yeah. I, I know it's it's quirky. We're six weeks into the year, man. <laughs> and they have yet to go on another opposing team's campus. That's kind of strange, first of all, in terms of a scheduling quirk. Um, 
but also like I don't think they win that game against Alabama if that's played in Tuscaloosa. They no. they lost to Arkansas in Dallas. They lost to Mississippi State at Texas A&M. They struggled against Colorado and barely won that game. I mean, yes, basically in a home game for Denver, and Colorado had all of the fans there, don't get me wrong, but not even on CU's campus. They won that game 10-7. to And if you're looking for the formula to beat Texas A&M for Mizzou, that's probably something pretty close to it. Um, Colorado finished that game, and it's not like they played exceedingly well. They finished with seven points. They had 89 passing yards. They just ran the hell out of the football from start to finish. They finished with 40 carries for 170 yards. They had one takeaway, which was helpful. Maybe more importantly, they had two penalties for 17 yards. They just weren't giving free stuff to the Aggies, and Texas A&M couldn't move the football in that game. So if you're looking for the way that Mizzou wins it, that's kind of it. I'm not saying that I think Mizzou's going to win this game. I'm picking Texas A&M. I, I think that's where the smart money is at. I don't think this game is going to be as lopsided as I'm assuming a lot of people nationally are anticipating. I think this might be a one-score game, one way or the other at the end. And, and part of that is because of the way that Texas A&M plays, as you said, for sure. But part of it is also Missouri's offense has the potential to step up in a game like this. Would you be surprised if they ended up scoring 27 points against Texas A&M? No, I can see that. That seems reasonable to me. And all you're asking there basically is, can your defense get a couple of takeaways? Because they're not going to get a whole lot of stops, let's be honest here. But can they get a couple of takeaways? And if they do, that's enough variance to where Mizzou could win this game. Because the way that Texas A&M plays, they limit possessions. They do not allow themselves a whole lot of margin for error. And if they turn the ball over a couple of times, do end up getting stopped a couple of times. Boom, Mizzou's right in this thing till the very end. So... I think of all of the games that remain, if you put Texas A&M, Georgia, Florida, and Arkansas into a, um, put them into a hat and you say, you got to pick one of these that you think Mizzou is most likely to win to get to six this year. I think this is probably the one. It's at home and it's against a team that allows for these kinds of games to be won by the opponent. So the Vanderbilt game, as of today, as Missouri had an 85% win expectancy. South Carolina game is at 61%. The game after that is Texas A&M at 31%. Just to finish out that thought, Arkansas is below that at 26%. Florida is below that at 16%. And then Georgia is a 6% win expectancy. So like, yes, this, this really is, you know, of, of the six games that you have left, this one, Vanderbilt and South Carolina are your most winnable. So you should win this game. I would, I would be in your best interest if you want to go bowling. Um, I, I already, I already kind of blew the surprise with you because we talked about this before you hit record, but I'm going to ask this question just kind of, uh, you know, anyway, so that the, the listener can pretend that I'm talking to them and asking them this question. I mean, you don't have to answer it since you know the answer, but do you BK slash listener know what the record is of teams that beat Alabama in the regular season and then have another another game the week after regular season victory over Bama followed up by another game. The record of teams that do that is eight and two, eight wins, two losses. And even if you factor out the G five and the FCS games, it's still a four and two record of teams that beat Alabama and then turn around and play a power five team the very next week. Now keep this in mind. If you beat Alabama, you tend to be a pretty good team. <laughs> All right. The teams that do this Auburn with Cam Newton, LSU that went to the national title in 2011, Texas A&M with Johnny Manziel, 2013 Auburn, 2014 and 15 Ole Miss, 2017 Auburn, 2019 LSU, the national champs. Like these are the caliber of teams that beat Alabama in the regular season. Okay. However, you also have South Carolina in 2010 who then turned around and gacked a game to Joker Phillips, Kentucky of all teams, 28, 31, the very next week. But my point is, is that good teams beat Alabama in the regular season and tend to win a lot more regular season games. But if you're looking for a sliver of hope here, 
you're thinking that 2021 Texas A&M is way more like 2010 South Carolina and that the being the toast of the town for a week and then turning around and having to go north to Columbia is going to be just a very rude wake up call. We catch him napping and, and beat him by a touchdown or so. I also think you could make a case that 2010 Alabama is a lot like 2021 Alabama. And I think that's part of the story here is I don't think Alabama's as good as they have been in years past. And that's not to say they're bad. They're not. They're a really good team that very well could finish the season in the college football playoff. It wouldn't it shouldn't surprise anybody if that happens. I also don't think it should surprise anybody if they end up losing another game in the SEC championship in particular. And I haven't looked at what their schedule looks like the rest of the way, but it's at least possible that they could have another uh, loss on the on the schedule at some point. Let me see who they have. come. Nah. It's tough to see, but maybe they end up losing to Arkansas. I, I don't see it, but mm, they're maybe. probably going to finish with two losses this year. That's not very Alabama like. <laughs> and so I, I do think that's part of this story as well. I, I just don't think they're the same team that they have been in years past. Uh, Alabama. Correct. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I think no, that I played into why Texas A&M was able to, to win that game. Yeah. No, I agree. I, Alabama is very much in a kind of a transition year. Got a brand new offense coordinator with Bill O'Brien, brand new quarterback with Bryce Young. Um, got a newer guy stepping up. I mean, that's true every year, but you know, even the best programs can't suffer that amount of attrition year over year, over year, over year, and maintain that, that, that level of competitiveness. So I, you know, I think Alabama doesn't lose more than two games. Uh, it kind of depends on whether they get into the playoff or not, but certainly it's not the, uh, the juggernaut that 2020 team was, or any of the others that uh, lost one game and then won the national championship like those, you know, I, I'm not sure if Bama's is there yet. Uh, or this version of Bama is, is that version uh, that we're used to, but still beating out Al- being Nick Saban, beating Alabama is something you should always be very proud of. And like, it's very hard to do, especially as a former Saban's assistant. Um, but yeah, I don't think um, I'm, I'm less scared about the fact that A&M beat Alabama more scared of the fact that just Missouri's defense is ass and will let anybody look good. That's, that's <laughs> ma- mostly my fear at this point. So we will see. Uh, you got it right, though, right? You got to you got to run the ball. You got to convert on third downs, which AM will let you do. Uh, and then you got to finish your drives, which Missouri has been pretty good at. But AM's also been very good at stopping that sort of thing. And then on the defense, you're probably not going to stop them. So create some havoc. Blow them mm-hmm. up in the backfield a couple times. Deflect some passes. Tip it up in the air. Let Mikai Wingo run the touchdown play. Like, you know, these are these are the type of fluky things, disruptive things that you got to do to throw them off. And if, if that's the corner that Missouri has turned and now they can be havocy again, yeah, the, the defense has got a shot to break serve and give the offense a couple more opportunities and, and, and win a close one. But if the defense is misfiring and the offense can't keep up, you know, it's, it's going to be a very slow death. It's like getting, you know, choked out by a boa constrictor. But um, I, I see a situation where when Missouri can win this is my point. But A&M is still very good and, if they get their way, they can definitely win this one. I know a couple of weeks ago you asked about Tyler Beatty's workload and how uh, Eli mm-hmm. Drinkwitz has, has mentioned a million different times that they've got to be careful and all these different things. And then you see Tyler Beatty going out there and getting 20 touches every week. Um, this is a week where I want to see all of the Tyler Beatty touches. Please. Like, if he ends up in this game with 30 plus, that's fine. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's probably going to feel like a lot while you're watching it. And it is a lot. And he's probably going to be sore next week. But man, mm-hmm. he's your best chance. He is your best chance to win this one. And last week he finished with 19 touches. It was one of his lowest on the season. Uh, his second lowest after the SEMO game. He's fresh. He's ready to go. That guy is chomping at the bit to be able to play in a game like this and to make a meaningful difference in a game like this. He's the one that you got to lean on. Because if there's any Mizzou player that can out-talent what uh, Texas A&M has, it's him. He's your best chance offensively to be able to do that. Look, he had a light load last weekend, even though he went for, you know, what, 224 Mm -hmm. yards. You got a bye week after this, and this is legitimately one of the three games that you have a chance at winning. If, If you really want a bowl, this is the one you have to win. Then you have to turn around and have to beat Vandy, and you have to beat South Carolina, yes, but it all starts here. 
empty your bullets, go in the back of the playbook, find all the cool stuff you've been doodling over the summer, get weird, get funky, get Tyler involved, empty it all, everything on the field. If you want to go bowling, this is what you need to do. So I hope, I'm sure this staff is smart enough to understand this and all this stuff. Like we're not saying anything they don't know, but I'm kind of excited for this game. I'm not going to be watching it. I want to be at a wedding. Shout out to Travis and Anahita, but I'm excited to see what this team can do. Can they rise to the challenge? Can they literally just shoot all their shots? And then what happens? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. And how does Texas A&M respond? I don't know. But uh, for all of the quietness and kind of bated breath of anticipation that the fandom seems to have over this week in particular, this could be a pretty cool game. And uh, I'm very excited to see how it plays out. I, I think you should be excited about this one because Missouri plays a lot of games on its schedule in general, not just this year, where the outcome of the game doesn't really matter one way or the other. Like the Georgia game, let's be honest, we know how that one's going to go. We have a pretty good idea of how Arkansas is going to go. Because Florida's at home and because Florida's a weird team, maybe we don't have 100% certainty on that one, but I think we have a pretty good idea. And we kind of knew how the games against Central Michigan and North Texas were going to go. So you knew how, uh, in SEMO, by the way, how a large majority of the schedule was going to go coming into the season. This is one of the games that you didn't know. And you should lose everybody in Vegas and all of the when they all the pundits, when they do the pregame predictions, will be picking Texas A&M, understandably so, given what they just did last week. But this is a game at home and it is a game against a team that is better than you, but not so much better that it is completely insurmountable. And it is the type of game where the team that you're playing is probably a little overrated nationally. And you are trying to prove that you could beat Big Brother. That's a fun game, man. That's that's a fun potential matchup. Like everything is there for the makings of what could be a really exciting Saturday in Columbia. And then you turn around and then the following week, you might have a couple of big time commitments. And now you're feeling good about where the program's at suddenly. So there's every reason to be excited about this game. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to be picking Texas A&M, though. I, I think Texas A&M ends up winning this one, something like 31-24. I think probably be my my final score prediction for this, just because I'm not sure that Missouri's going to get enough stops. But if they get a couple of them, they're going to be right in this thing till the end. Yeah. There's also the fact, something that I have shown great restraint in, in not mentioning, but I'm just going to say it now. Texas A&M has not beaten Missouri since when? Do you know? Texas A&M's last time beating Missouri. Man, it's been a minute. It's been a When was the last time they beat Missouri in Columbia? That feels like it's been a long time. Um, Are we going back to like... Did they play in 2012? Am I forgetting that? They game? did. Okay. Johnny Manziel. That was the last time that Texas A&M beat Missouri. That was in College Station. Um, Missouri has not lost since then. Beat them in 13. Beat them in 14. There's also that hilarious streak towards the end of the Big 12 as we knew it growing up. Where um, Missouri won in 7, 10, and 11. And they were all in College Station. Like we couldn't we couldn't not play in College Station. Um, we call it, started calling it Columbia South. But the last time that uh, Missouri lost to Texas A&M in Columbia was... 99. Yep, 1999. It's been more than 20 Mm -hmm. years. That's crazy. Now, I'm still saying A&M wins like 34-24. Don't get me wrong, but that isn't a fun little nugget. And if Missouri does pull off the victory, it's just going to be... They're cursed. (laughs) A&M is cursed to forever lose to Missouri for the rest of your lives. (laughs) Which I'm fine with, by the way. I'm fine with that. But we will see. All right, you said thirty-one twenty-four was you. That's what you're thinking. Yeah, so, somewhere around there. I think thirty, thirty-one twenty-four, thirty-four twenty-four. I think it's right around one score. I think they end up scoring yeah. in the low thirties, and Mizzou ends up in the low twenties. So, so, like that yeah. conceptually, that's kind of where I'm at. I think I'll go like thirty-one twenty-four in terms of my actual score prediction. Yeah, I'll say thirty-four twenty-four, ten-point victory. But you know, surprise me, Tigers. Surprise me. Um. Man, that's all I got. Anything else before we get out of here? I don't think so, man. I I, I mean, just 
as a Mizzou fan, allow yourself to be excited for the next week. Like, I, I know we don't do this very often because we're always kind of bracing ourselves for getting kicked in the cojones, but this could be a fun week for Mizzou. So allow yourself to be let down, you know, uh, give yourself the opportunity to be hurt. <laughs> and if they if they hurt you emotionally, that's OK. That's what sports are all about. And then you rebound and you feel better next week about it. You got an off week for you. So allow yourself to get hurt this weekend. Well, on, on Saturday against A&M and then next week when Luther Burden makes his announcement, allow yourself to get a little excited about these two things. Allow yourself to get hurt. That's maybe the most Missouri thing I've, I've ever heard. <laughs> hey, man, you got to you got to take that guard down. And sports are a lot more fun to enjoy when you allow yourself to be emotional about it. That's true. That's true. Sage wisdom from BK. That's right. Well, that's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment. You can give us a rate. We love all types of feedback. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. Of course, you can follow the Rockin' Friendship at Rockin' Nation. You can also listen to BK on the radio, 101 ESPN, the number one afternoon sports talk radio in the state of Missouri with Mr. BK there. Uh, but we appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, MIZ. Z-O-U.